Uh, We are in our Journey Through Philippians series, and if you're new with us, uh, what we do a couple times a year is we pause in our teaching to do a deep dive into one of the books of the Bible. And this is, uh, we're diving into Philippians, which is a letter from a church leader just after Jesus, a guy named Paul, written to a church in Philippi, a city in Greece. And it's a very brief letter, but we said we want to spend several weeks understanding the content of this and then applying it to us as individuals and us as a church. And this is chapter 3, which we're reading in. And I want to actually read an extended portion of this to you. Uh, Really, this gives you kind of an overview of this chapter. And uh, it's quite both autobiographical and vulnerable, as Paul really opens up and says, let me teach you a little bit about my faith. So here it goes. It says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. As for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless, he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Now, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 3. Here Paul gets very vulnerable. He does this at times. And he basically opens up his belief and his faith. And he describes, really, two different aspects. He goes, there's a faith I had before Christ. And let me tell you a little bit about that. And then he says, and then Christ came into my life on one day. He describes it as Christ took hold of him. Some of you in your life, you had a moment where you remember Christ grabbing hold of you. And you go, you you, you couldn't almost deny he was real because of what he did in your life. That was true for Paul. And when Christ took hold of him, it transformed his beliefs. And in this chapter, he's laying out a rich theological understanding for all the church in Philippi. He's saying, I want to make sure you get your theology right. Because it's very easy to get your theology just a little bit off, and it makes all the difference. So the time we have together, what I would love to do is unpack Paul's theology in this chapter. And I just want to kind of diagram it for you just through a few key words. If you were going to ask Paul if he was here... Paul, tell me about your theology. I think he could use just a few words to help you understand this aspect of faith. If you started with him, I think he would just simply say, it all begins for him with one word, creator. Paul would go, uh, he believes there's a creation and a person who created all of this. That this wasn't chance, it wasn't a mistake. This was designed by God himself. That God, out of love, created the world. And within the world, Paul would say that He created you and me. And in Paul's theology, there's this core belief that humanity, humans, have a really important, crucial role in the creation. That Genesis describes God creates the world with a word, but when it comes to humanity, he formed us with his own hands. He breathed life into us. And the idea is we have a special place. And one of the gifts God gave to us that he didn't give the rest was freedom, free choice. God gave you and I the potential to choose. It's a beautiful gift. But time and time again, 
when we are given the chance to choose either good or evil, time and time again, Paul would say, we chose evil. Now, evil's a harsh word, isn't it? Uh, but if you look at the world, if you read the news, you're going to see every single day there's evidence of evil in our world. Try it tomorrow. Just open up the news, read it, and just tell me you don't see evil at work in the world. Now, here's the thing about evil. It's very simple and easy to see evil in somebody else. The truth is, though, it's not just in others. It's inside of us, too, isn't it? A little harder to see when it's in of us. But Paul would say this, a core aspect of astrology, every single person has contributed to the breakdown of our world through evil. Paul said it this way, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Translation, many of us, we're trying to figure out who are good people and bad people. Paul would say, not accurate. Every single one of us falls on the bad side. Now there are safe people and dangerous people, that's a good distinction, but good and bad, we all fall on the bad side. Every one of us has contributed to evil. Now this, because we have a perfect creator, this creates a problem. How can a perfect creator look at a broken, sinful, even evil individual? How do we get right with our God? How do we get the ledger, ledger how do we get it cleaned up? And that's this third word that he uses in this passage quite a bit, righteousness. Now this word again, this is a theological word. It really just means uh, to get right or being in a state of being right. Once you're morally wrong, how do you get right with a perfect God? What do you have to do so that God, when he looks at you, goes, you've done enough. The ledger's clean. No more debt to be paid. How do we get right? Now, here's the interesting thing about these three things. Every world religion, the major ones, all agree on this. There's a perfect creator. All of us have done wrong. And all of us have to start a path to get right, to be determined by God to be morally okay in his sight. All of them agree on this. And you have to determine what's the path to righteousness. How do we get there? And this is where the world religions take a little turn. And this is where Paul's life, before Christ and after he experienced Jesus, is two different paths, two different things he describes. You'll see it just in these simple words. Paul says two paths on this. One is to work your way back to God, and the other is faith. Work your way. Paul, many times throughout his teachings, will describe, before he came to Christ, he was working his way back to God through good works. He describes it in this passage, you just heard it, as the works of the flesh. He's just meaning, these are things that I did myself. I did it on my own. Paul, many times, builds out a spiritual resume even in this passage, he goes, if you looked at my spiritual resume, I'm way better than the rest of you, right? He goes, my resume's faultless. Paul was diligent about his religious studies. He wanted to learn and understand. He wanted to be diligent about the law. He took all the rules, all the religious rules seriously. Anytime he broke one, he worked diligently to get that cleaned up off his ledger. Uh, he then took the next step, and he wanted to train and teach others so that they could get better at works, so they could get right with the Creator. It was a constant effort on him, and he goes, I did everything you had to do. Perfect resume. It looked fantastic. And then he met Christ. Christ took a hold of him, and he changed. He stopped on this path to righteousness, 
And he begins to use a different word. No longer is it about earning my way back. He goes, now it's all about faith. He describes it in the passage we just saw. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law works. He goes, I'm not on that path anymore. Saying church in Philippi, don't be confused. I'm not doing this. I hope you don't either. He says, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but that through which is in Christ, faith in Christ alone, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I stopped being on the treadmill of trying to earn my way back to get the ledger clean through what I did, and I just shifted to this other aspect. I said, I'm now just fully into faith, which begs a second question. What do you mean when you say faith? What does that look like? Paul here is describing a step that he goes, it's not of me anymore. It's not what I do. It's faith that comes from God alone. Now, give you a little more detail. In one of his other letters, this one to a different church in Corinth, he describes us a little clearer. He says this. He goes, God made him who knew no sin, had no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, the one who knew no sin, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me describe what he just taught. God says, let him who knew no sin, he's talking about Jesus there. Core belief of Paul Jesus was the only one who walked on this planet who did not contribute evil. Jesus was perfect, sinless. And he who knew no sin, he who did not have evil, Paul says he became evil for us. What he's talking about is a transfer that happened at the cross. That at the cross when Jesus died, the Bible indicates and Paul backs up that the whole sins of all of humanity, past, present, and future, all of them got transferred to Jesus who had none to pay for. He took them all on, all of our sin, and paid that debt. That's why so many of us, when we see a cross, are moved to tears because we recognize Jesus, who knew no sin, took on all mine and all yours. That's the first part of the transfer where a debt was paid for, but you may not know that there's a second aspect of the transfer. It says that he who knew no sin became our sin so that then we could become his righteousness. And the idea is Jesus was already right with God. He didn't have any evil. He was already right with God. So when he took on our evil, he then takes that on as a transfer, but then gives to us his rightness. So when you receive grace, when you step into faith, not only does he take on your sin, But the idea is Jesus then takes his righteousness and places it on you. So the idea is at the end of time, every one of us stands before a perfect God. He looks at our life and he goes, there's evil here. How are you going to get right? Some would go, I've done all these good works. I'm trying to earn my way back. You could do that. Paul here goes, his answer to God alone will be, it's Christ alone. How do I get right? Christ alone. And the idea is in that moment, God looks at him and sees Christ's rightness and says, welcome. That's the incredible transfer. That's what Paul's so moved by. He's so moved by the sacrifice of Christ and then the transfer of his rightness to you and to me. It led then Paul to this great phrase. He says, I consider whatever was gains at one point to now be lost for Christ. You remember this? He just says, whatever I thought was gains, it's loss for Christ. And what's more, I consider everything a loss, just an understanding and knowing who Christ Jesus is, my Lord. For whose sake, he says, I've lost all things, and I consider them all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
What's he saying here? He goes, all these years spent trying to build a great spiritual resume to demonstrate how I could get right and my righteousness. Once I understood this incredible transfer, my sins to Christ, his righteousness to me, he goes, once I understood that, I look back at all that resume, all those things I did, classes I took and taught, laws I tried to follow, and I realized they're garbage. They're so worthless compared to what Christ did. The word garbage is a great word, too, in the Greek. The word is actually more like table scraps. The image is, imagine you have a great meal, and at the end, you look at your plate, and there's just very little left, not enough to save, and you scrape it into the garbage disposal, right? That's what he said. All the works I did, it's kind of like that. They've got such little value. It's this amazing thing. Paul goes, my life's transformed. All the things I tried to do to get right, I realized I didn't have to do them anymore. Right now, all I have to do is live by faith, receive this transfer. Let me ask you, have you had a point in your life where you've acknowledged these needs and you made with a clear mind and a clear decision, are you going to be on the path to earn your way back through your works or will you receive it by faith? Paul described a day, I told you earlier, where Jesus took hold of him and he chose this faith and it made all the difference. Have you had a day like that where you chose it? Paul writes about this and he goes, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Meaning every person who once they understand what Jesus did and they believe, if they just pray a simple, sincere, heartfelt prayer to God saying, God, I believe this and I now receive this incredible gift of grace, this transfer of my sin to Jesus, his righteousness to me. Every person who prays that, Paul says, heaven hears your prayer, seals the decision, your eternity is secure. Have you had a day like that, a moment, a prayer where you chose this? If not, this might be your day. Maybe even now as I'm talking, just like Paul, you sense Jesus taking hold of you. Sense in your mind, your heart, you go, this is my day. It's my chance to pray the prayer. In a moment, I hope you will. Just you and God, nobody, just you and God, nobody watching. Just to have a simple, sincere conversation to go, I want this. I don't want to be on this path trying to earn my way back, trying to get the ledger clean by what I do. I just want to receive this incredible gift of faith. Now, once you do that, here's the question. Is there anything more? Do you have to do more or is that it? And if you noticed, at the end of the passage I read, there's a little bit of confusion. Because Paul says he had this point where he got done doing works and he shifted to faith. But then he starts to describe he's still in this effort. You might remember it. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ took hold of me. Do you remember this? He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God's called me to in Christ Jesus. You look at it, you know, wait, time out a second. Paul just said he's done doing spiritual works, right? And then right after it, he starts talking about, but I haven't obtained it all. I'm trying to keep going. I'm pressing on towards the goal. What's he talking about? This can be easily confused. See, Paul at this point is not talking about salvation. He's talking about a different theological concept. And it's this word you may not have heard before. It's sanctification. 
Now, sanctification, that's a churchy theological word. You may not have heard it. It basically means this. It's the transformation of who you are into who you were always intended to be. It's a transformation. Paul here is saying, I've got all the work done by Christ. My eternity is secure, but now begins the process of God's work in me to make me who he always wanted me to become. That's the sanctification work that Paul's so passionately pursuing all the way to the end of his life. And let me give you a couple analogies to help you understand sanctification, just so we're clear. And, and these aren't perfect analogies, but give me just a little grace, okay? Imagine, if you would, that you're on a boat, and you're enjoying a great boat ride out in the ocean. Sounds great. It's not around Chicago in winter. You're someplace nice. And you're having so much fun that you're dancing on the boat, and you know, I probably shouldn't dance on the side of the boat like this, but you're doing it anyway because you're having such a good time. And in the middle of it, you kind of catch a little wet spot, and you slip and you fall overboard. The boat continues to motor on, and you realize no one saw me fall. Now you realize I'm about to lose my life and drown because I was messing around on a boat, and you scream out, somebody help me. By a miracle, someone on the boat does. They see you, and they throw the life preserver to you, and you grab on, you've been saved. But you're still in the water. Imagine someone on the boat says, do you want to come back in? You go, no, no, I'm good. I'm saved. I'll stay right here. That's ludicrous, right? So someone on the boat pulls in that rope that's tied to that life preserver to get you in. Then they lift you into the boat. Then they wrap you in towels, dry you off, get you some clean clothes because they want to restore you, not just to who you were, but they want you to be smarter about how to do things on a boat. Maybe don't dance on the side, right? That's sanctification. Your salvation happened the minute that they threw that life preserver to you. You did nothing to earn it. They just gave it as a gift. But it's not enough just to be saved. They want to restore you to who you be. It's one analogy. Let me give you a different one. Again, God forbid this happens to you. Imagine today going home, you have a heart attack. They race you to the hospital, and a surgeon looks at you and goes, I can save you, as every surgeon would. And they begin the surgery, and they do a bypass. And a few hours later, you wake up, and the surgeon looks at you and goes, I saved your life. Good news. Couple bypasses, you're good. And you say to the surgeon, first, thank you so much for saving me. And then second, is that all there is? The surgeon goes, of course not. You're in a hospital bed. I didn't save you so you'd stay here. Now begins all the rehab. You're going to have to work really hard with other people to get back in shape. And then you're going to have to make some changes. I hope you'll eat a few more vegetables and a few less Twinkies. I hope you'll exercise. And guess what? If you'll work diligently, you actually might be in better shape than before. Sanctification. He's describing, I want to see you not just saved, but sanctified into a better person. That's what Paul describes. It isn't enough just to be saved. Once you realize what Christ did to you, you go, all right, now, God, begin the work in me to transform me into who you've always wanted me to be. Does this make sense? Can I just be very direct with you? Many Christians, I mean, get this all correct. They receive grace by faith. And then it ends. Years pass. And you'd look at the person and you go, there was a point you were saved a decade ago and you look no different today. Why is that? It's not a problem with the saving work of Christ. It's a lack of passion for this. 
Paul's crystal clear. For his life, he's choosing a path. He goes, I'm pressing onward to achieve the goal. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to settle. I don't want to just be the person Christ saved. I want to be transformed more and more into his image best I can. Make no mistake, the majority of the work is God's in my life, but I've got an effort I've got to put too. Paul's made his choice. I think his question for us would be, what's your choice? Once you've received grace, are you going to commit to this as well? Are you going to commit to this work to be transformed so that God can use you and so you can become more of who God always intended you to be? In my life, so often, there's so many different ways that God does this work in me and in us, isn't it? Reading the Bible is one of the key aspects of it. Paul describes this, that he wants to know Christ. And so much of it was reading his words, trying to understand his practices, meditating. Some of it's reflection. Just really looking at your life, going, where are the ways that I'm still sinning, still struggling? Prayer and meditation, very important. Community, for me, is one of the most critical aspects of this in my life. If I look back on my life, and this is why I... I, I'm going to speak to you frequently. You need deep Christian community because it's been so helpful for me that when I have deep, meaningful friendships, I have the chance, two aspects the Bible describes is to confess sin to them, something not many of us do these days, but to sit with a friend and go, hey, would you just listen to me confess ways that I'm still struggling with sin? And every time I've done it, I just say, I want to confess some stuff to you. I'd ask that at the end, would you kind of as a mediator for God, kind of offer forgiveness towards me and pray for me. And every time, then the person across me goes, well, I'll do it as long as you'll listen to my confession. And that's the beauty of this. Some of the times you just got to get your heart clean. You got to own it. The other side is some of the times the person needs to confront. The beauty of Christian community is some of the times we have blind spots, things we are doing that we aren't aware are still on the evil side, still on the sin side. And a close friend with sensitivity and gentleness go, hey, real quick, I know you've got all this taken care of, but I saw something in your life that gave me pause. Can we talk about it? Uh, This week, I had a friend uh, do this for me and asked for time together. And then just with such gentleness and grace said, hey, I don't think you're aware of this, but, but something you did hurt me. And in fact, it wasn't something I did. It was something I didn't do. And just with such tenderness and grace, he made me aware of there's this piece of my life that I was unaware of that hurt him. And it was such a gift to go yet again, God, I'm living by faith, but I still have such a long way to go on this. Do you have that kind of community, those kinds of friends who partner with you, who go, I know what you're trying to do and I want to help you in it. And you help each other. Do you have friends like that? Have you committed yourself to this to go, I, I know my attorney's secure. Now I'm in the, the passionate work to see my life sanctified as best I can. Have you committed to that? If we looked at your life, you have the patterns of reading scripture and other books, of journaling to try to understand your patterns, of friendships and confession. Would you see that you're fully in this if not, is today the day to just make a commitment? Go, I, I'm, I'm choosing this. I'm going to intentionally pursue this. I don't want to just be the person I've been. i got to get better. I want God to have his way in me, to make me more and more the way he always intended me to be. I think if you do that, Paul will look at you and smile. 
See, Paul is writing this book, we think, towards the end of his life. And when he describes pressing on towards the goal, he's using runner's language. And he's describing after a long race, he can finally see the finish line. He goes, I haven't achieved the goal yet, but I'm sprinting to the finish. I'm stretching to the goal. I want every minute on this planet to be part of my growth, to become more and more like Christ and more and more like the person God always intended me to be. I think you commit to that. He'd cheer you on. He'd go, I'm on the sideline. It's a good pursuit. Don't hold back. Don't slow down. Whatever you do, don't settle. God's great desire and his work is to see you more and more become who he always wanted you to be. But make no mistake, it's a decision. It's an intentional choice day by day. So have you chosen this? Maybe today is your day to make that decision. Now, we're going to close this service a little different. We're going to receive communion. And actually, volunteers, you could come forward and begin to distribute it. If you're a Christian, if you've already chosen this faith, we'd invite you to take a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice and hold on to them. And in a moment, we'll receive them together. It's one of the things that unites us. But I want to talk to you real quick. Some of you, you may have not chosen faith before this moment. And you go, can I, can I do this today? I would encourage you, receive communion and make communion that point where you choose faith. It's okay. You just take these elements, hold on to them. As they distribute, we're going to have just a moment of pause, a moment of quiet, where you can just say, really, it's just time for you to do business with God. And you may want to get right on the face side. Just hold these two elements. Go, God, I'm done trying to work my way up. I just received this incredible transfer. My sin to Jesus, his rightness to me. And you can make that decision right here, right now, through communion. Uh, Others of you go, I've already done that. And maybe this is that moment where you commit to this. You go, all right, God, enough of me just settling for who I am. I'm committing now. I want to pursue you more fully. I want to see your transformation happen. The choice is yours. So what we'd ask is why they distribute these. Again, hold these elements. Do business with God, just you and him. And then in a moment, I'll come back up and I'll guide us through the eating of the bread and the drinking of this cup. And the band's just going to sing a song over you that describes this, what God is doing. But use this time. This is for you. Today there's no reason to wait 
So when Jesus celebrated this communion the first time, his last words, he says, when you do this, remember me. And basically, he was acknowledging at that first one, the tendency is going to be, you're going to forget. You're going to forget what I'm going to do on the cross. You're going to forget that all your sins have been transferred to me. You're going to forget all my rightnesses transferred to you. He says, we do this. We're going to celebrate this to never forget, to always remember this incredible incredible sacrifice that he made so let's take the bread remembering that his body was broken for you and for me go ahead and eat Bible describes that he took a cup and he said this wine it represents the blood that's going to be shed for you again forgiveness of sins freedom, new life. So as people who've been forgiven so much, let's drink. And would you pray with me? Oh, what a Savior. God, we are in awe that we don't have to work our way to clean up the ledger, but that you, your great plan, was to send your perfect son to take on all our sin, all our evil, all our wrong, so that we might have his rightness. Unbelievable. So God, in faith, we believe that. We choose that. God, with passion, we commit ourselves to the sanctification process. We don't want to just stay the sinful people we've always been. We want to be transformed more and more, God. God, we want to live this out. We want to teach this to others. God, may your grace be known by us, experienced by us, and may we be showing it to the entire world. And now, God, with great love and gratitude in our hearts, we say thank you one more time to you. And we've lifted this prayer to you in the name of Christ our Savior. And all God's people said, amen, amen. The Bible describes that first communion. They sing a song. And Christians have been doing it ever since, all the way back to Paul's day feels right on this day that we would sing to our great God, doesn't it? So would you stand up and can we sing this full voice to him? James will lead us. Come on, let's sing together all the earth. All the earth. 
good to be with you and uh thanks for being with us thanks for celebrating communion with us and a couple next steps uh, one you heard it earlier we're going to be celebrating baptism in two weeks and jesus made it clear once you receive his grace next steps baptism so if you're a christ follower you've received grace you've stepped out in faith this is the next one and so we'll do an info meeting right down here right now it takes about 10 minutes and basically it's a chance to answer any questions you've got and just tell you a little bit more about how to get signed up and what you'll experience that's two weeks i hope you come right here The other one's prayer. Our prayer room is right through here. And some of you, you are carrying a heavy burden today. You don't have to carry this alone. Highly encourage you. Go straight through there. Get prayer. We'd love to pray for you. And just finally, as I've been talking about community, if you go, I don't have people like that in my life. I don't have Christians who will help me, guide me, be a friend to me. Stop by the Welcome Center. Hear about our small groups. These are set up to be that kind of starting place to build that kind of community. I hope you'll do that. But thanks so much for being here today. Hope you have a wonderful week. We're going to continue our Philippians series next weekend, so stay with us. We'll be here then. Have a great day. We'll see you back next weekend. Blessings.